Hey all, welcome to another episode of our Limitless podcast series. I am Nisha, a product marketer at Hippo Video and your podcast host for today. We have with us this time Alice Heyman. Hey Alice. Hi. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Alice will be drawing on her expertise from coaching sales executives in navigating complex B2B sales to advise CEOs on how to maintain a steady stream of leads and revenue in the face of an economic downturn. Let's dive right into questions. Okay, Alice, here's your first question. So let's face it, we are in the throes of an economic downturn. How are prospects response to the usual sales tactics like you know cold emails or cold calls or you know cold outreach in general likely to change in this scenario? Well, I think they're they're not going to change that much. I think the fact is that people don't want another email in their inbox and they don't answer cold calls. They just don't. I mean, when I say that, I recognize that there are companies who will dial for you and there's cold calling experts out there and all of that. And if you dial enough times, someone will answer, right? But it is a pretty inefficient way to to talk to someone. So this has been true for a long time. Uh, I think that our sales tactics have not been working for a long time. Before COVID, our sales tactics weren't working very well. Thus, all of the statistics saying that less than 50% of of the salespeople hit their quota, right? Because the prospecting tactics aren't working and salespeople don't have enough conversations with people who can buy from them. I mean, if you talk to the average sales rep today, whether they're an inside rep or an outside rep, and of course we know the outside reps are not traveling as much, but um, they're, they're doing things like emailing, doing LinkedIn, doing research, um, very little phone. I mean, they're dialing and they're leaving voicemails but there's very few conversations going on. And that's been that way for a while. So will it change? It will only get worse. I have a feeling I don't think it's gonna get any better. Okay. So how can they make the process better? Because you know, from what you said, I think it's all been one way, right? I mean, salespeople leaving voice messages and leaving emails. So how can they make it like, you know, two-way conversation in a way that's bound to attract, you know, the other person's attention? and make it a conversation? Right, that's the million dollar question. So how do we make it better? Well, first of all, we all have to recognize that we're humans Mm -hmm. and that we wanna talk about things that matter to us. Now, this is nothing new. Uh, Dale Carnegie, what, 60 years ago? I don't even know how long ago he said, look, (laughs) people, you know, if you wanna win friends and influence people, you have to be concerned about them. You have to care about them. You have to be genuine. You have to ask questions. You have to understand what matters to them. This is not new information. So if we want to improve the prospecting process, there's a couple of things that we need to focus on. And so one of them is we need to have a good understanding of who we're selling to, why they might buy from us, and what their world is like, right? So if we have a very specific approach to our target customer. So first of all, we decide this is our target customer. They look like this, they walk like this, they talk like this, you know, and we know who they are. So we know what kinds of companies buy from us. And then we know who the people are inside those companies that'll get involved in the decision. If we have that targeted well, everything else becomes easier. Most of the companies I see out there 
have not targeted well, and they're trying to sell to people who are not likely to buy from them. And that makes it very hard. When we sell to people who are likely to buy from us, it's easier, but we're not done there. So now we have targeted these people, these companies who need what we sell, and the people inside those companies who make the decisions to buy that, we have to get their attention. Now, huge brands out there, you know, that with names that everybody knows, like Salesforce.com, Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. you know, big, big names out there. Um, companies already have heard of them, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll buy from them. So we have to think about how do people buy? What do they do first? So once we know who we're targeting, now we have to understand what is their journey. And when I say journey, I really mean like, what is their decision-making process? When they say, oh, I have a problem. I need a solution to this problem. Is there more than one solution? You know, should we do this? Should we solve this internally ourselves or should we hire a consultant to help us or should we buy a product off the shelf? So they're going through a decision-making process that is the way the human brain works and we cannot change that. The only thing we can do is assist it. So if we want to get their attention and they don't already know us because we're not Coca-Cola or Zoom or, you know, Salesforce.com or some big company that everybody knows, we have to figure out how do we get in their path. Now, it's a, it's a concerted effort between sales and marketing. We have to have a, a front that shows our brand the same way in, in every place that people might find us. So, you know, if I'm making a decision, what's the first thing I do? I think, oh, what do I need? Do I know a company that already has that, that I've used before that I could use again? So that's the first thing that goes through my brain. Then if I say, no, I don't, then I might ask my friends, hey, uh, what company do you buy this kind of thing from, right? And I'll ask a couple different people. Then I'll get on Google or I might get on Google first before I ask people. I might do my research on Google and then I might go ask people, have you heard of this company? Have you used them? So one of those two things is gonna happen. Once I know I need something, I'm going to start Googling or start asking people. Rarely will I just pick up the phone and call a company and say, hey, you know, what do you have? I'm going to do all this research on my own first. So if we want to engage people at that early stage, first they have to know we exist. And then we have to be engaging and have information that they need. Now, at that point, nobody wants to talk to a salesperson. So even if it's a complex sale where you will need a salesperson in the beginning, I really don't want to talk to a salesperson. I want to do this research on my own. So what we're missing right now is most companies, their websites, not really telling anybody what they do. It it doesn't give me a clear path to follow. It doesn't help me on my buyer journey. So that's the first place I go right after I Google, I go to the website. Well, so the website failed. All right. So if I looked at three vendors and all three of their websites are sort of not so great, then I might have to go a step further and try to figure out how to get more information on those three vendors. If out of those three, one of them had a great website and I could figure exactly what they sold and how to buy it, then I would probably move forward with them and drop the other two. So it's really simple. So what companies have to figure out is before a buyer ever talks to a salesperson, how is the customer interacting with them? Did they find some social media uh, post? Did they find content? Did they, uh, did the SEO work when they searched and, and your company popped up? Like, how is your buyer finding you 
in the first place. And then once they do, what's the experience that they have next? It could even make it harder for the salesperson or easier for the salesperson, but that's before they ever even talk to a salesperson. So it's hard for salespeople to have conversations when the beginning of the buyer journey isn't helping the person choose your company. So, so that's a big failure point that I see. So let's just say we get through all that, you know, and I'm buying this and I find a company and I go, yeah, I've researched all I can. I got everything I needed from their website. I looked at their social media and learned a lot. And now I am ready to talk to a salesperson, right? Well, if, if that's the case, then now that salesperson has to be educated. They have to have business acumen. They have to have industry acumen. They have to know about my company, right? And they have to know about their own company, their own product, the results that they provide. So there's another fail point. We do not educate our salespeople enough in that way. So they don't have all that information. So there's several fail points. Now, let's face it. Most companies are doing outbound. They're not waiting till I come to them. When, when I have a need and start looking, they're hoping to catch me before I have that need yeah. and get me to know about them. So that's marketing's job. It's one-to-many messaging that lets me know that your company is available when I have that problem. And yeah. you just keep dripping on me, dripping on me, dripping on me. So I know you're there. Great content's coming through. And I think, wow, if I ever need that, I'll buy from that company, right? Now, alongside that marketing, salespeople are sending spammy messages. They're sending me spammy LinkedIn. They're sending me spammy, spammy emails, maybe too. And I'm deleting, 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 right? So now I've got cross messages. I've got marketing doing one thing and sales doing another. Big fail point. So we, we have several points where we could, could stop and fix things. Um, but uh, the messaging is the key. So what messaging do you have to engage me, whether it's outbound or inbound, whether I find you and start reading up on you or whether you come after me and send me messaging, what messaging is going to make me pay attention? Mm -hmm. And if I happen to have the problem that you solve at that moment in time, that messaging should be so strong and so powerful showing me that you know me, not me personally, but my industry and what I go through as a CRO or a CEO or a CTO or a VP of sales or whatever, you know, whatever the titles are, engineering, whatever, you're showing me, you know, what my life is like, what is a day in my life like, and the words you use make me go, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I need. I want to call you. But most messaging is terrible, even though there's information out there saying, don't talk about yourself. Don't talk about your company. Don't talk about your, your um, products, your services. We get these messages from salespeople every day. Hi, I'm so-and-so I have this and this and this and this and this, would you like to set up a call and buy that from me? Mm -hmm. And we get those messages constantly. So, um, you know, Gartner, corporate visions, Forrester, all the powers that be out there that are writing about, um, what buyers want are saying, get us good content get us messaging that makes us think, bring us insights, um, you know, engage with us in a way that makes us want to talk to you. And that is just flat out not happening. Yeah, I think a lot of messages out there are now, you know, generic because companies are scared of losing out on leads. Like I think they value, I don't know, quantity over quality or something, you know, they're, I think a little afraid of hesitant to, you know, like make the messaging laser focused, I guess, correct? 
Yeah, and that's right. They're afraid of losing customers. And so they aim much too broad and it does nobody any good. Plus they still just talk about themselves. So the, I think, you know, people say this all the time, the riches are in the niches. If you have three target markets, then you better write specific messaging for all three of those. If you have three target markets, your website better speak to all three. You cannot be too general. Not today. People just won't wade through it. If they don't see immediately how it impacts them, they're gone. Yeah, absolutely valid. On to the next one. Uh, So how should CEOs and sales leaders steer their teams to safety, you know, in this scenario? Should there be a shift in mindset or approach to sales itself? Anytime the market is shaky, we think there's a recession, a (laughs) a pandemic shows up out of the blue. Um, You know, anytime there's anything that, you know, makes us go on high alert, we have to do something, right? But really, I think if we are doing good selling, we don't have to change a lot. So basics are important, but mindset, right, is, is key. So if we go into this uncertain market, whatever may be causing that uncertain market, if we go into with a, a mindset of fear um, and scarcity and, oh my gosh, this is going to be hard and, and our mindset is negative, mm of course, it's going to be very difficult. If we go into an uncertain market saying, you know, here's what we know how to do really well. Here's what we can change if we need to. Here's where we can flex and bend. And here's how we can be great in any market. That mindset, you know, says, hey, you know, we're going along for this ride. It may be bumpy, but we can and will do it. So I think that mindset is very, very, very important. The approach to the sale, if you're already doing it well, probably doesn't need to change. However, you have customers, simply go ask them. You know, go ask your customers, what are your fears in this marketplace? What are you worried about? What challenges are you facing? How can we help you? How can, you know, what are you looking for? You know, so it's really easy to change your approach by just surveying your own customers and finding out what their needs are in, in these, you know, turbulent times. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think that safety is in being consistent, doing the right things, right. Focusing on the customer, understanding the buyer journey, surveying your customers. That's the safety. It's stuff you should be doing anyway. What you're trying to say is, you know, retaining your customers is more important than going after new ones, like in this scenario. Absolutely. I, I think we lose sight of that so many times, but we all know the statistics, how expensive it is to replace a customer, the cost of acquisition versus the cost of retention. Plus it just wears on the company in so many different ways when we lose customers. Now, there are a certain amount of customers that just need to go because they weren't a good fit in the first place, or they are, you know, not a good fit now for whatever reason, certainly. But uh, in, especially in uncertain times, we want to shore up all of our existing customers, make sure they're not just satisfied, but they are delighted and they become loyal customers so that they continue to buy as well as continue to share with us when things aren't working right so we can fix them. 
and they're willing to make introductions for us. So retention is absolutely critical. I believe it's always critical, but in any kind of a, a turbulent market, you absolutely need to shore up your existing customers and make sure you're retaining them. Awesome. Okay. You know, B2B sales has traditionally been quite complex. You know, as you said, you know, we have like sales sending emails, marketing sending emails to prospects, etc. So what's stripping it down to the bare essentials, make it easier for the sales team and the buyers to navigate the whole process because right now it's pretty confusing, right? It is confusing so and we do make it confusing. I always say, um, what have you done today to make it easier to be your customer and harder to be your competitor? right? So we are making it hard to be our customer and we don't even realize it because we don't take that journey from the customer's point of view. We always take it from an internal point of view. And that's another reason to reach out to your customers and ask them what the journey was like when they bought from you, um, where the sticking points were, where it was easy and why they ended up buying from you. So um, in a complex sale, especially you know, there's some B2B sales that are transactional and and not all that complex. It only takes one or two people to make a decision. But in a complex sale where we have um, five, eight, 12 decision makers on the buying team and then on the selling team, we have, you know, a team, a sales engineer, a pre-sales person, a salesperson, um, an account manager, a customer success person, all teaming up to go forward and work with all those buyers and move the deal forward. Yeah, it gets complex. It's high dollar stakes. It's, it's long uh, sales cycles. There's all kinds of things. So if we can make it easier for our customer to buy, certainly we will win more deals. So when you say bare essentials, you know, to strip it down, well, you know, what does that mean? I think mostly it means um again, being educated on who you're selling to, being prepared, which I cannot tell you how many salespeople go out there and wing it and their sales leaders allow them to do it. They do not do pre-call plans before they have big meetings. And especially where they have meetings with several people from the buyer side and several people from the seller side together, they're not doing written call planning. And it's, they're, they're just failing at those meetings, even though they leave, oh yeah, it was a great meeting, but they didn't cover the right things or they didn't cover some things that were critically important. They didn't include everyone equally in the conversation because they weren't prepared to do that. They may not have the outcome that was the very best outcome. They may have got a good outcome that moved forward, but it might not have been the very best outcome because they didn't prepare in advance. So if we just take a look at how do we make it easy for the the customer, then what we have to do is be highly educated on what they need and what they're doing and how they're doing it and be prepared to bring insights. And we need to be prepared for every conversation that we have for them so that we don't waste their time. And then we need to use mutual action plans for complete transparency to show them from, from today to the time you buy, here's all the steps that are going to have, have to happen. Here's who's going to have to do it and by when, if we want to stick to this timeline. Even if they don't end up buying from you, that buying timeline with actions is going to help them make a better choice in the end, whether they buy from you or buy from somebody else. So if we get those mutual action plans in place early, it's easy for the buyer because they know what to do next. See, what the funny thing is, is that these sellers somehow think that the buyers know how to buy from them. (laughs) 
Now, isn't that silly? I've never bought from you before, or maybe yeah. I have, but in many, many cases, I've never bought from you before. I have no idea how to buy from you. Not only that, I may have never been involved in buying this type of thing ever in my lifetime, right? So we have, you know, um, millennials who are now in a position of leadership where they're going out to buy expensive software, expensive equipment, on um, uh, expensive programs and services, and they've never purchased those kinds of things before. So how do they know how to buy them? They don't. And they specifically don't know how to buy them from your company because buying from you is different than buying from someone else. So yes, we have to make it easier for them. We have to take the fatigue out of it. Gartner says, you know, I've been saying for years that buyers are fatigued. They have this big spaghetti bowl to wade through. We have many people on the buying team who have to go through their own decision-making process, and then they all have to come to consensus. So anything that we can do as the selling team to make it easy for them, to map it out for them, to walk them through it, to get them the information they need, but not overload them with information, any of that would make it easier. Yeah, so true. Even if they don't end up buying from you, they'll at least, you know, be left with a pleasant sales experience. A hundred percent, right? And then if they have that and later on they need something or they move to another company, they're still going to think well of you. And yeah. so it will be really easy for them to come back to you. Very true. Yeah. Okay. Um, so next one, virtual selling has been the norm during the pandemic, like you know, using videos or Zoom calls, et cetera. So do you see the trend continuing into the downturn as well? Absolutely. I think the companies have recognized that sending salespeople on trips every week <laughs> is not an efficient way to do business. It's not cost-effective and it also isn't time-effective. Uh, and it, it doesn't really get the job done. Uh, I do believe there is a time and place to meet in person. Many companies are using trade shows and other events as the way to do that. So you send the salespeople, the, the selling team to the event, and then you also call on customers while you're there, either customers in the area and or the customers visiting the same event or trade show, and you schedule your face-to-face -face work that needs to be done you know, at those times, instead of making a lot of separate trips. Um, some companies have actually even completely stopped having salespeople travel. They've cut their tra travel budgets down to almost nothing. So it is absolutely a trend that will continue. And, you know, this pandemic, maybe it's only an epidemic now. I don't know how they call it. It's less, you know, life-threatening now. Um, but people are still getting COVID and uh, that's, you know, going to continue uh, on top of the fact that there'll be another virus or another something, right? So we have to be able to use the technology available to us today to sell. And that is not going to change. It will continue. And we will be more picky about when we send people on a trip and what they're doing while they're on that trip. Um, because we you know, when people are on a plane for hours and hours of a day or several days, they can't do much work, right? And then they go visit the customer for an hour or two, and then they get back on a plane and go back. Not an effective use of time. Uh, so I, I really, truly believe that we will continue to sell virtually. I think people are learning how to do it well, and it's working and it will continue. And uh, the next question for you, and this has something to do with, you know, the customer retention point that you mentioned. So revenue has traditionally been the North Star metric for sales teams. Should CEOs and sales leaders revisit the metric in the current scenario? 
like should it be you know recurring revenue now other than <laughs> well revenues? let's just put it this way revenue is a lagging indicator i don't know what my revenue is until i have it in hand i can forecast all day long but until those dollars are in the door and by the time the dollars are in the door it is too late Okay. So what we have to learn to do in sales is use leading indicators instead of lagging indicators. And the revenue is important. Of course it is. We have to, we have to hit our revenue numbers so the company can exist and pay their bills and continue to grow, right? There's, that's an absolute. Um, recurring revenue is great, but that doesn't work for every kind of company, right? So if you sell software, terrific. You can, uh, set up a subscription model and, and there you go. Right. But that doesn't work for everything like heavy equipment, like Caterpillar, right. They sell yeah. great big diggers. You don't get on a recurring revenue model with diggers. The diggers last a long, long time. Now you could put them on a service model where they pay monthly for service. And that would be some recurring revenue. But again, there are just some cases where it's, there's no, um, recurring revenue model that's going to work. So if there is a recurring revenue model, yes, companies should install that. They should, should use recurring revenue, but again, you still have to renew that, right? So um, it's still sort of a lagging indicator. So we have to start looking at things that really tell us if we're going to be successful this year and if we're going to grow. And if we start to measure the things that lead to revenue that can be um, monitored weekly so that within a week's time, we know either we hit it or we didn't, and we can adjust and then get to the next week and do better, right? Mm -hmm. Then we have a better chance of hitting the goal, the revenue goal that we set rather than just waiting to see if we hit it or not or going to the end of the quarter and it's like, oh, we didn't hit our goal. Now we're behind one quarter. Now we've got to catch up in the next three quarters. I mean, yeah, yeah. revenue is important. Recurring revenue is great if your business model allows for it, but we have to really think about um, how we can measure leading indicators versus lagging. And we do have to take a serious look at our business model and see if it can be pivoted or morphed into a model where we can get more recurring revenue. But again, that's not going to work for everybody. Okay. Yeah. That was pretty insightful. And uh, next question. So again, this has something to do with, you know, like aligning sales and marketing. So how can CEOs align different teams in the organization to work in tandem with sales and, you know, weather the storm together? So alignment is critical. And the CEO is the only person in the company that can really orchestrate alignment. So we have sales, we have marketing, we have customer success, we have operations, we have finance and whatever other departments your company has, right? Mm -hmm. HR, for example. I mean, there's a lot of different departments that you may have and they all kind of work in a silo. So they have a leader, HR has a leader, uh, finance has a leader, sales has a leader, marketing has a leader, customer success has a leader. In some cases, the sales marketing customer success leader is a CRO and they all fall under one, but you know, we have these silos and then, you know, we're trying to bridge the gap between them. Uh, they all have their own, their own, you know, tasks that they have to do. Uh, but what, 
we have to have happen is for them to all be focused on the customer journey and how they impact it. But finance may not see that they have anything to do at all with a customer journey. Operations may not see that either, right? Now, remember when I say customer journey, I'm not just talking about from the time they know about you, either because you outreached or because they found you till the time they buy. I'm talking about from, hello, I know you exist to I'm your loyal customer. So, you know, it goes well beyond, beyond the, the purchase into the onboarding and um, the, re- you know, just the recurring revenue model that you have in place, but the customer staying with you, the retention and the growth of that customer and then becoming a loyal customer. So every department touches a piece of that. And the salespeople or the sales leader can't say to operations, hey, you need to do this because our customers are not happy. I mean, they do tell them and then the operations person just yells back at them. That's not our problem, blah, 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 right? And then we say, marketing, we need more leads. And they say, we're giving you leads. What, you know, so we've got all this fighting going on. So at the CEO level, that is the only place where we can say to all of these teams, here's how we are going to align around the customer. Here's the communication that needs to take place interdepartmentally to make it easier to be our customer, right? Um, Only a CEO can do that. And if they do not start to orchestrate that in a better way than they are currently, and especially in a turbulent market, they will not be successful, uh, you know, or their success will be limited in some way. So we have to look to our CEOs and our boards need to look down at our CEOs and have this expectation. The leaders who report to the CEO need to look up and have this expectation that the CEO will um, come up with a strategy with their team that is customer focused and that they will align all of these different departments around the customer's journey, all the way from hello to I'm your loyal customer. And the communication has to be there. So the expectation has to be set and then people have to be held accountable. Yeah, so the customer should be at the center of, you know, all those strategizing and planning every time. Exactly. Got it. Okay, next one. So most companies are likely to freeze hiring, you know, until the storm passes. I mean, that's what's been predicted at least. So how can leaders, leaders, equip their existing teams to perform to their maximum potential. Well, worse than freezing, a lot of companies are laying people off. So um, this is a huge problem. You cannot cut your way to success, right? That's Mm -hmm. never going to get you there. Cutting costs is never going to get the growth you need. And so when you are afraid, what you do is batten down the hatches and, you know, just wait for the storm to pass. That is not a good strategy. So hiring freezing may be essential at your company if the revenues are not there, but I, and, and even um, doing a, a riff or a reduction in force, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, could be, you know, something that can temporarily make it so your cash flow meets your needs and you can pay your bills, mm-hmm. but that is not a long-term strategy. And what I would like to say to the CEOs out there who are thinking of laying people off or freezing their hiring is there must be a better way, right? So think about the way your organizations are working. Think about productivity. Think about the customer. 
think about everything differently and come up with a better way versus laying people off and dumping more work on the people who stay. They will be disgruntled, then they may leave as well. And, you know, sometimes when we do layoffs or freeze hiring, the right people aren't there, right? So now we have uh, some people who are not productive or they're not the right fit, but we're kind of stuck with them because we are hiring freeze and we let them go. We can't replace them. Sometimes you're allowed to replace in a freeze. Sometimes you're not. Or sometimes like I've seen companies recently laying people off and they're laying some of their best people off. Yeah. The or best they're laying ones are always the ones to call, I guess. Right. That's crazy. Right. And, and you're thinking your sales are down. You're letting salespeople go. That does not make sense. Now, if they're not performing, you should let them go long ago. But if they're performing, why are you laying them off? So I think that freezing hiring and doing layoffs is a very bad strategy. And although I understand how budgets work and I understand that we have to be able to pay our bills and we don't want to dip into our savings too much or, you know, our investors don't want to give us more money unless they see us cutting costs. And so I get all that, but uh, I think that there's a better way. And I think that if people put their heads together and thought about it, they would come up with a better way for their each individual company versus just, you know, racing to go, okay, the first thing we're going to do is cut personnel. Not a, not a smart choice in my opinion. Got it. Yep. So Alice, your next question for you. And this is a question that I must ask because yeah, we are a video sales enablement company. So have you ever used or considered using video in any of your processes? Like it needn't be sales prospecting per se, but anywhere else. Absolutely. Um, using video in the sales process is absolutely essential. Now, as we were talking earlier, before we started recording, I personally don't really do a lot of prospecting because I have a very vast network and I do most of my business through referrals. People are introducing me to people or I speak somewhere and they see me and then we talk and, and then um, I work with them, but I'm a small company and I don't need that many customers. Right. So I still use video uh, in my email communication. So the first way that I, I use video is to my own team. So when I have something to communicate, rather than writing a long, drawn-out email, I just flip the switch, turn the video on, talk to the person, tell them what I need, and then maybe I put a link to a document or you know have a little bit of written information or an attachment for them, and that way I don't have to write out, type out so much, and then edit it and you know make sure it's all right before I send it. Plus you know, remember an email, you can't tell my tone of voice. And unfortunately, with email humans read in the negative faster than they read in the positive for whatever reason. So you might be sending them a perfectly positive email and somehow they get the notion that it's a negative email. So when you turn on your video and talk to them directly, they can see your tone of voice. And then, then you can put whatever links you need to in the email and send it off. So internal communications, I think, Something like Hippo Video is very, very important for um, all leaders to use and all team members to use as well. It would really help everyone slim down their email as well because they wouldn't be sending, you know, they're having conversations back and forth, back and yeah. forth via email unless they use Slack or some other, you know, Teams or something. But with a video, it makes communication more clear. Um, secondly, um, for me, I use video like before a speaking engagement where I have never met the CEOs who will be in the audience. 
Um, but I want to let them know me a little bit. Maybe they've looked at my social media, maybe they haven't. So I record a video telling them, I can't wait to meet them at the event. Here's what I'm going to talk about in my presentation. Here's a few links. If you want to check out uh, my mm. social media or my podcast or my blog, and then I send that off. So that is another great way that I use it. You create that uh, sense of familiarity, like, you know, at the actual Yes, event. exactly. Now I work with a lot of, um, you know, CEOs and their sales leaders. And when their team does something spectacular, I like to literally stand up and cheer. So I record that also on video. Um, I cheer for them and send that out to the team. So uh, those are some ways I use it. Um, One more way is when I'm going to be doing a training with a team and I want to give them the pre-work. And so I'll do a video and I'll say, hey, before we do the training, here's some things that I'd like you to do. And I explain it to them. And then I put the links below. So they all know what to do. So it's very, very easy. Now, I will tell you that for my clients, they do prospect, of course, because they need lots of leads. And so I have them insert video into the prospecting sequence that they're doing. So we may be using the phone, LinkedIn, email, trade shows many different ways, right. To find and contact our customers. They may be holding an event. So let's say they are holding a webinar, um, with, with some great information and they're inviting people to the webinar. Wouldn't it be better to have a video invitation than a written invitation? Of course it would. So now they see the smiling face of the sales rep, who's going to of course do the follow-up as well, inviting them to the event. They might've got something from marketing too, letting them know about the event. Now they get a personal invitation from a sales rep saying, you know, this is our event. We'd love to have you come. Here's what's going to be blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, just click the link below and you'll quickly be registered for the event. And then I'll see you there. And I'll also talk to you afterwards. So we're already set up an expectation. You've seen my smiling face, you know, I'm going to follow up with you whether it's a virtual event or an in-person event, I'm going to be there. So I'll, you know, be able to either chat you or some of these events have ways to do video also inside the event. So you're just getting to know them better if you use a video and in any kind of prospecting from the very beginning to close to closing, right. And even at closing a video works great. So once the deal is closed, you go back to your main contact, you make a quick video It's been such an exciting journey, you know, took months. Finally, here we are. We're so excited to have you as our customer. It was great meeting everybody. Thank you for your business. You could write that, but wouldn't it be better on a video? So I am a big proponent of using video all through the sales process. And then even afterwards in customer retention, and when you're trying to, you know, go wide and deep into your current accounts that are buying from you, video works. Awesome. You know that uh, sending videos for webinar invitations is literally what we do at Hippo. And yeah, we've seen some great results with that. And I'm glad that, you know, you find such great value in video as well. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Alice, yeah, and this is my last question for you. So what are some books or podcasts that, you know, every CEO must read or listen to? Or that you read oh or listen to. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so many. And please, <laughs> okay. please, if you're listening, go to my website. And recently I wrote 11 podcasts that every CEO should listen to, but they're, they're good for, for anyone in sales and such. Um, anyone who wants to be creative, but 
uh, take a look. There's several um, blogs on blog posts on my blog about different podcasts. And I do the same with books. Like I'll do a roundup and talk about some of the new books, but I have a few right now that I've just been reading recently. Um, Stu Heineke wrote how to grow your business like a weed. It is excellent. So I really would love everyone uh, to read that. Um, hang on a second. I'm just looking back here at the stack of books. I love look me in the eye by Julie Hansen, because we are going to remain virtual sellers. Many of us were before the pandemic. We're using video to have conversations. Look me in the eye by Julie Hansen is very helpful for anybody who's using video to have conversations or to sell, you know, it's just good for everyone. Um, I could go on and on, but um, <laughs> some of my favorite podcasts, I, I have a podcast, of course, called Sales Talk for CEOs, and I'd love you to listen to that and leave me a rating. But also, I love how I built this with Guy Raz. You can hear the stories of many famous companies and how they got started. Um, and I also love Science Friday, even though it's not about sales. <laughs> it helps me think. <laughs> creatively. And so I really recommend that you listen to some podcasts that aren't about your profession. Um, there are tons of great sales podcasts out there. And like I said, I've written about them, so I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but if you go to my blog, you can see them all. Okay. So, okay. People who are listening and I hope you've taken notes and if not, like I'll just include, uh, you know, Alice's links to her blog post like on the page for this podcast so no worries okay Alice yeah I think that's a wrap thank you so much for this incredible session and um, yeah I hope to have you again on some of our webinars and podcasts like pretty soon and thank you listeners for tuning in today we'll be doing many more of these podcasts with more such stellar speakers from around the globe so stay tuned to our coming episodes we are on Apple, Spotify, Google and Stitcher as well Subscribe to get notified when a new episode is out. And please don't forget to leave us a review if you are on Apple. Thanks for listening and bye-bye. Have a great day.